grab a Bible and go to John 16 with me. I'm going to start in verse 25. Uh, The plan today is to finish John 16, uh, but I want to finish John 16 with a very specific goal in mind. Uh, I actually want to use Jesus' words here uh, to encourage our brother and sister Dan and Amy. So for a couple of years now, Dan and Amy have been praying and and studying and taking steps toward more uh, frontier mission work. As many of you know, they've, they've served overseas before, and now they'll be leaving to serve the advance of the gospel again, though this time in Eurasia. And so this is their last Sunday with us for a long time. Uh, the Lord has put a holy ambition in them, much like we find in the Apostle Paul, to preach the gospel not where Christ has already been named. Not in cities like Fort Worth, in other words. Where Christ has already been named. Where hundreds of churches exist and where there is an abundance of access to the gospel. They want to spend themselves in places where little to no churches exist and where no God-glorifying, gospel-centered, disciple-making efforts exist. In fact, a while back, I think I mentioned this this to you before, I I asked Dan if he was still sure that he wanted to go instead of staying here and serving at Redeemer. And his response was, if Redeemer were the only church around and the rest of the Metroplex had no access to the gospel and there were threats against those who convert, then he would consider it. Dan's passion and Amy's passion is to see Christ named among peoples who have never heard of and who have no access to the riches of God's love in Christ. And we should thank God that he has brought Dan and Amy to our congregation to use their gifts to grow our passion for Christ to be named among all peoples, both here in this, in this area around us and abroad. Uh, Dan and Amy, we are stronger and all the more healthy as a church because of what you have stood for and taught us in the gospel. So thank you for laboring so hard through care group leadership and discipleship hour and Sunday night big idea and VBC and a host of other relationships you've developed with others. Dan, you've even been a a Barnabas to me on Wednesday mornings, a son of encouragement. And I'm going to miss you starting with this commissioning service. So we are commissioning Dan and Amy this morning as Redeemer missionaries sent out through the IMB. And that means they'll go out as part of us and remain part of us. Uh, We will have the privilege to encourage them in their work and pray for them while they are laboring and even join them perhaps one day with with some of our, our own people if the Lord sees it fitting to do so. So this is why the sermon will have a bit of a different feel this morning and focus. And what better words to commission our brother and sister than with these words of peace and courage that are rooted in Jesus' victory over the world. 
Let me read them to us now, starting in verse 25. Jesus says, I have said these things to you in figures of speech. The hour is coming when I will no longer speak to you in figures of speech, but will tell you plainly about the Father. In that day you will ask in my name, and I do not say to you that I will ask the Father on your behalf, for the Father himself loves you, because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. I came from the Father and have come into the world, and now I am leaving the world and going to the Father. His disciples said, Ah, now you are speaking plainly and not using figurative speech. Now we know that you know all things and do not need anyone to question you. This is why we believe that you came from God. Jesus answered them, Do you now believe? Behold, the hour is coming, indeed it has come, when you will be scattered each to his own home, and you will leave me alone. Yet I am not alone, for the Father is with me. I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Shall we pray together? Father in heaven, you are... A gracious God and a merciful God, a slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love towards us. And we see that even now as we get to read your words. Uh, these are not merely the words of men, they are your words, the words of God. And I pray that your spirit would come and make them, uh, make us to, to, to know the riches that are in them. Please use them also to uh, strengthen the hearts of Dan and Amy as they go out from us. And we ask it in Christ's name. Amen. As I said before, I'll focus my encouragements to Dan and Amy, but that doesn't mean the encouragements are only for Dan and Amy. Uh, They're for all of us. So as you listen to these four encouragements I have this morning from John 16, don't merely listen for Dan and Amy's sake. Listen for your own sake. Listen for your own encouragement in Christ. Listen for your own peace in the midst of tribulation. Christ came and did this incredible work for us all, and we're, and we're all united in the same work alongside Dan and Amy. So, so here are the four encouragements to note as you enter the world. First of all, remember that when you go into the world, you go with God's complete revelation in Christ. You go with God's complete revelation in Christ. Jesus says in verse 25... I've said these things to you in figures of speech. The hour is coming when I will no longer speak to you in figures of speech, but will tell you plainly about the Father. He's referring to all that he said, really, in chapters 14 to 16. There's a time when Jesus' words still remain veiled to the disciples, and then there's also a time when that veil would be lifted for the disciples. There's a time the disciples seem to be stumbling around, so it seems, in a a, a dark house. 
And then there's a time when Jesus, as it were, would flood that, flood that house with light so that they no longer stumble over what he is saying. And what lifts the veil for them, what, what turns on the lights, what enables the disciples to understand the Father plainly is marked by uh, what he says, the hour that is coming. An hour is coming when the disciples' misunderstanding would become understanding. Now, that doesn't mean anything was lacking in the way Jesus had revealed the Father already. To this point in His earthly ministry, Jesus is very clear that both His words and His works perfectly reveal His Father. The issue is that nobody can understand their deepest significance until after Jesus' cross and resurrection. His cross and His resurrection would initiate the hour of understanding. The hour when all the world would hear of the fullness of God's plan through the gospel of Jesus Christ. And sure enough, the Bible tells us that when Jesus rose from the dead, He comes to the disciples and He he opens their minds to understand the Scriptures. And then He appears to the disciples for for 40 days, speaking to them about the kingdom of God. And then on top of that, he then then sends the Holy Spirit once he ascends to his Father. He sends the Holy Spirit to come and teach the disciples what was meant by all he said and did. The Holy Spirit has been sent to make sense of Jesus' words and works. And he does this by inspiring the written word through the apostles And then also by illumining our minds to that word and convincing us about the Father's love in Christ. Uh, This is something Paul picks up as well in 1 Corinthians 2. When he says, we impart, we, we apostles, we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God which God decreed before the ages for our glory. None of the rulers of this age understood this For if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. So there's this hiddenness. And then he says this, But as it is written, What no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined what God has prepared for those who love Him. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. They're no longer hidden. They're revealed. Now, we may very well ask why God did it this way. Why would Jesus wait to disclose the Father so plainly? And the Scriptures give us several answers to that question. For instance, the most basic answer is that of chapter 16, verse 12. If you just look back there for a minute. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. The disciples could not bear to hear Jesus speak so plainly at that point. Jesus doesn't just push them into the deep end, in other words. They must first learn to swim by experiencing the resurrection and by learning from the Spirit all that the Father has done in Jesus' cross. Another answer is that God planned it this way so that no human being could boast in His presence as if they figured out His plans on their own. No, the Lord's plans in the cross confound even the wisest of people, 1 Corinthians 1 says. 
If anyone comes to understand the glories of salvation, then they will only do so with the understanding that's given from above. And that's exactly what happens to John the Apostle when the Spirit gives him insight. That's why you have a gospel, this fourth gospel in your Bibles. But one of the most central answers John himself wants us to walk away with is this. By waiting, Jesus centers all of the Father's self-revelation on his marvelous provision at Calvary. He essentially makes the cross and resurrection the center point of all redemptive history. If anyone is to know and enjoy God the Father rightly, they must know and enjoy him as the Father who gave up his Son. That's where we see the grandeur of God's holiness. That's where we come to know grace and truth fully in Jesus Christ. That's when our hearts fill up with the depth of God's love. So Dan and Amy and Redeemer Church, you do not go into the world with confusion and uncertainties about what God is like. You do not enter the mission with theories on how God may save people or how he may relate to people. You go into the world with certainty and clarity about your father and what he's like because Jesus has come down to reveal him to us, to tell us the whole story about him through his life, death, and resurrection. He has turned all the lights on in the house such that whatever room we enter, more of God's majestic worth and grace is revealed. You minister in the hour of the gospel spreading to the ends of the earth to give all peoples, all peoples understanding of the Father and what he has done for us. When all questions about God's final salvation have been answered sufficiently and completely in Christ... Who Jesus is and what Jesus has done explains the Father perfectly. How the Father is a God of holiness who does not wink his eye at sin. How the Father is himself righteous, always true to himself in everything, even in the way he relates to sinners. How the Father is loving in his disposition toward a rebellious world, offering up his own son to take away their sins. How the Father patiently forgives when people turn to his son in faith. You minister also in the day of the Spirit's ministry, who continues to shine the spotlight on the crucified and risen Christ. And when days of confusion set in, and they will... When difficult questions arise from your Muslim neighbors about knowing God, and they will. When you doubt whether God is good as you suffer dark days, and you likely will. Turn to the words of Jesus and the Spirit's help to know the truth about your Father. The Spirit will be with you as He was present with the disciples following Jesus' departure. The Spirit came to them as a teacher to reveal God the Father in His Son and He will be your teacher as well. He will illumine Christ to you and in Christ you will know the Father rightly and then be enabled to to lead others to know Him rightly. As you look to the risen Christ and the written words of the Spirit, you will be a competent minister of grace as was Paul 
You will have everything that you need to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light, to bring to light, since it's now been revealed for us, to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. You can bring that to light to them because of the work of Christ. All this because you possess God's complete revelation of Himself in Jesus. Second, when you go into the world, you go in open fellowship with the loving Father. Jesus tells them in verse 26 and 27, In that day you will ask in my name, and I do not say to you that I will ask the Father on your behalf, for the Father himself loves you, because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. Now, Jesus' point isn't to undermine his ongoing intercession based on his priestly role as our mediator, like we see in Romans 8 and Hebrews 7. Rather, his point is simply to stress the direct access his disciples have with the Father himself. Yes, Jesus stands forever as our only way to the Father, as our only mediator. But when He brings us to the Father, it's not in such a way that Jesus has to beg the Father to hear our requests. As if our fellowship with Jesus isn't enough for the Father. As if Jesus' cross has missed a few sins that keep the Father at, at arm's length. No, Jesus has blown open the way to direct access to the Father, such that when we relate to Jesus in love, the Father relates to us in love. And what's even more beautiful about this reconciliation is that it was ultimately rooted in the love of the Father Himself for us. It's not angry Father, and and then love initiates with Jesus. It's the entire Godhead is against us for our sins. And from within Himself, He loves us. The Father Himself loves us and sends Jesus for us. The Father Himself loves you, and that's proven by the fact that He provided the sufficient mediator in His Son. Without Jesus, we would have no access to God at all, but with the sending of Jesus, the Father gives us Himself in full. And so to love Jesus is actually to enter a loving fellowship with the Father. And that relationship is not a relationship where He's withholding Himself from us. Rather, He is giving Himself to us day in and day out, listening to our requests, never once being bothered by our asking, but delighting in our dependence on Him. And it's really here that we see the point of Jesus' entire mission to restore sinners like you and me who were once estranged from God to restore us to a right relationship with God. Dan and Amy, and Redeemer, because of the work of Christ, you have open fellowship with God the Father by faith in Christ. 
The one who created all things and controls all things. The one who is self-sufficient and in need of nothing. The one who orders your every moment and knows the numbers of hairs on your head. The one to whom God the Son will one day hand over the kingdom so that God Himself will be all in all. This God has given you fellowship with Himself. Seek Him earnestly as you enter the world. Keep walking with Him daily as parents, looking to His fatherly care for wisdom and grace in leading Jan and Josiah. You're right, Dan. Anytime you mention their names, they, they look. <laughs> Run into the Father's arms when you encounter trouble. Know His delight in you at the end of every day. That His delight in you is real and full because the work of His Son is real and complete. Remember that His love does not waver towards His elect. If He didn't spare His only Son but gave Him up for you all, how will He not also with Him freely give you all things now that He's risen from the dead? The Father sent His Son to bring you into their triune fellowship. Let that fellowship continue to fuel your own love for God and for others. A related encouragement from our passage is this one. When you go out, you go with the assurance of the never-failing Father and Son. Jesus summarizes His His mission in verse 28, he says, I I came from the Father, I've come into the world, and now I'm leaving the world and going to the Father. And the funny thing is that the disciples all of a sudden think they understand him. In verse 17, they didn't get a lick of what he was saying. Now it's as if they know everything. Ah, now you are speaking plainly and not using figurative speech. When Jesus just told them, that wasn't going to happen yet till after the resurrection. Now we know that you know all things and do not need anyone to question you. This is why we believe that you came from God. Now we shouldn't dismiss their remarks as insincere, but regardless of their sincerity, they're full of pride. The disciples have gone from confusion to confidence in a matter of minutes. They're like people who read one article on the internet and become doctors overnight. It's sheer pride. And Jesus calls them on it. Do you now believe? Behold, the hour is coming. Indeed, it has come when you will be scattered, each to his own home, and will leave me alone. That's how much you understand. That's how strong your faith really is. It's unable to endure the pressures of my cross. Jesus knows the disciples better than they know themselves. But the point of his rebuke isn't merely to point out the failure of the disciples, but more so to point out the faithfulness of the Father and the Son. He says, yet I am not alone, for the Father is with me. This word from Jesus develops a crucial theme running throughout John's Gospel, and that is the Father's faithfulness to His Son as His Son obeys the Father. 
In John 8, 29, we actually get these things coming, to, coming together for us very, very closely. If you want to turn there, go ahead. John 8, 29. But uh, Jesus, Jesus says there, He who sent me is with me. So again, we get this, uh, just like we see in our text, the Father is with me, we see there. He who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone. Now, why? For I always do the things that are pleasing to Him. I always do the things that are pleasing to Him. The Father will be with Jesus when the disciples abandon Him because Jesus will do what pleases the Father even unto death. Faithfulness of the Father to the Son, as the Son always obeys the Father, that's what's going on here. And what this means is that when the Father and the Son set out on a specific mission to save sinners like us, that mission can never fail because it's not rooted, it's not grounded, it's not built upon feeble and failing people. It's built upon the Father who always remains faithful to His always obedient Son. That's what the mission is built upon. Dan and Amy and Redeemer, when your faith wavers, keep looking to the unwavering Christ who pleased His Father in all things even unto death on your behalf. When you stumble, keep trusting the one who never stumbled on his way to endure the Father's wrath for you. When you know and come to see, become convicted over the fact that that you have chosen ways that, that don't please God some days. Turn to the one who always pleased God and now stands in heaven as your righteousness And your advocate. Keep holding on to Jesus with the knowledge that he never lets go of his Father's own. Your power to follow Jesus isn't rooted in what you will do for Jesus, but in what Jesus has done for you. There's a theological reason here why God built the church using weak and failing men like the disciples. Because never did God want us thinking that our existence was owing to the perfections of men, but to the power of God in Christ. In the same way, Jesus' mission wasn't dependent on the disciples' perfect faithfulness. Still today, Jesus' mission isn't dependent on your perfect faithfulness. Faithfulness is necessary... But you will fail and fall short and wrestle against unbelief. Trials will come and your faith will be tested and at times found wanting. Temptations to despair will present themselves and you will see no way around them. We've even walked through some of those difficulties already together. With tears and fears in front of you. But in those moments... You have found that the success of the mission doesn't fall on your shoulders. It's ultimately carried on Jesus' shoulders. 
He is able to withstand the day of testing. He is able to, to stand the day of trial. He is able to lead you when you can, to, to, to lead and lead others when you cannot lead. He is able to keep sinners when you find yourself exhausted by them. He is able to endure all that is necessary to win and keep his own and to finish his Father's plan. And that brings me to one last point of encouragement. When you go out, go with peaceful courage in the victorious Christ. Go with peaceful courage in the victorious Christ. Jesus closes his final discourse with these great words. I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart. Some of the older translations say, be of good cheer. Take heart, be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. How the health and wealth prosperity teachers ever get around this one baffles me. People actually teach that if you just have enough faith, you will not suffer. If you just have enough obedience, you will not suffer. Baloney! To say such things is antichrist. Jesus is clear and real about the fallen world we live in. In the world, you will have tribulation. Trouble will come your way. Most immediately, Jesus has in mind the hatred and the persecution and the martyrdom the disciples will face because of their identity with Jesus. But we know from other places in Scripture the the tribulation comes in a variety of forms. And for various reasons. It it could come as a result of living in a broken, created order. Romans 8. Floods, mudslides, cancer, famine, economic downfalls, unknown physical ailments... Tribulation could come as a result of living in a rebellious humanity. Places like Psalm 10, Romans 1. Betrayal, rejection, power struggles, thievery, drunk drivers. And especially threats from those who want preachers of the gospel silenced. Or the tribulation could even come from the powers of darkness themselves. Temptation, oppression, fears, lies... And the majority of times, all these sorts of tribulations are even intermingled and stacked on top of one another as they assault our soul's peace. The answer is not what the world normally teaches us, to just look deeper within. The answer is outside of us for peace. It is found in Christ. Jesus says the way to peace amidst all this tribulation is not to escape the world, but to walk with Him in the world. And why would being with Jesus, believing in Jesus, bring peace, bring courage to endure? Well, because He has overcome the fallen world. Through His death and resurrection, Jesus breaks the power of sin, shatters the shackles of death, and casts out the ruler of the world. The the ruler of this world, Satan. He overcomes the world in that He even now reigns. 
over a new world and will bring that new world in its full on the last day. Because of His work, we are assured that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. Because of His work, we're assured that sin will have its end when God's kingdom comes in its fullness. Because of His work, we need not fear people's threats of death or listen to the devil's hopeless lies. Jesus has, in fact, overcome. All the world's fallenness is accounted for in what God accomplishes through Jesus. And so in Him, we find peace and courage amidst tribulation. He is not shaken by the world's tribulation. He is God. He is sovereign rock upon which our feet stand, and He cannot be shaken. He cannot be moved. I remember in seminary one time, just spiraling into depression for weeks, And I remember reading Psalm 22 and and listening to David himself say, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Everything in the world is assaulting his soul. As if to say, I've been abandoned by God himself. And yet verse 4 comes and he says, Yet you are holy and you are enthroned upon the praises of Israel. That's nothing that's changed about God. And it brought him peace. It brought him hope. He's singing by the end of Psalm 22 about God giving him the inheritance of the nations. I've read of this same peace playing out in a number of saints. Uh, One of them is John Patton. Dan, you and I have talked about Patton before. Uh, Patton was a minister from Scotland and he served for several years teaching in Glasgow before answering the Lord's call at age 33 to take the gospel to the peoples that lived on a stretch of islands called the the New Hebrides. I think today they're called Vanuatu. But Patton faced a tribulation. Within four months of his arrival to these islands... His wife and infant son died of disease. Uh, He he even had to dig their own graves. But this is what he writes. Stunned by that dreadful loss in entering upon this field of labor to which the Lord had himself so evidently led me, My reason seemed for a time almost to give way. In fact, it was about this time that that he also got the same illness his wife had that led to her death. My reason seemed for a time almost to give way, but I was never altogether forsaken. The ever-merciful Lord sustained me. He sustained me to lay the precious dust of my beloved ones in the same quiet grave. Except for Jesus and the fellowship that He vouchsafed me there, I must have gone mad and died beside the lonely grave. 
so that you can see the, how the peace of Christ is giving Patton help and comfort and courage in the midst of that suffering. Patton then went on to, to labor four more years, and he saw almost no fruit, just, just a handful of converts. And on top of that, he, he kept facing these ongoing threats from the natives on the island. I, it's a great read. If you, John Patton is the name of the biography. But you know, one night, he's spending the night in a tree uh, because all of the people are looking for him to try to kill him. And, he, and he's experiencing Jesus in this tree in the middle of the night while people are... It's great. But the situation even got so bad at one point, they're, they're all surrounding him... And he thought for sure this was his time to go, to die. And again, this is what he writes. This is, this is peace with Jesus in the midst of tribulation right here. They encircled us in a deadly ring. And one of them kept urging the other to strike the first blow or to fire the first shot. My heart rose up to the Lord Jesus. I saw him watching all the scene. My peace came back to me like a wave from God. I realized that I was immortal till my master's work with me was done. The assurance came to me as if a voice out of heaven had spoken that not a musket would be fired to wound us. Not a club prevailed to strike us. Not a spear to leave the hand in which it was held vibrating to be thrown. Not an arrow leave the bow without the permission of Jesus Christ, who is all power on heaven and earth. He rules all nature, animate and inanimate, and restrains even the savage of the South Seas. That's his word, by the way, savage. This is peace in the midst of tribulation. My peace came back to me like a wave from God as, as his heart rose up to the Lord Jesus. Dan and Amy and the rest of you, I don't, I don't know what tribulations has come, to you al- has come to you already or what tribulation will come to you in the days ahead. But I can send you out with this assurance and this encouragement, regardless of the tribulation... God's grace in Jesus Christ is sufficient for it. And He ensures you peaceful courage amidst it. You don't have to worry about how you're going to endure that day. You don't have to borrow troubles from tomorrow. But you can take every confidence that His promise is sure. That He will give you peace amidst it. You may be tempted to find your peace by changing the circumstances. And while wisdom may call for a change in circumstances at times, true peace will only come by holding on to Jesus. For He has overcome the world. You may also be tempted to believe that your suffering is a sign that God's love toward you has somehow waned. But let these words remind you that such a conclusion is false. This world is a painful place and God's love isn't to be sought in a pain-free, comfortable life. Rather, God's love is to be sought in the cross of Christ Himself. This is where God demonstrated His love and this is where you must return when your soul suffers affliction and trouble. More than that, His resurrection gives us hope for the future that even our present sufferings will not last forever 
The day is coming when the clouds will be rolled back like a scroll. Jesus will defeat all our enemies and usher us into His glorious presence. Where we hunger no more, neither thirst any more. For the Lamb in the midst of the throne will be our shepherd. And He will guide us to living water. And God will wipe away every tear from our eyes. So those are my encouragements from this text for you. And for all of you. We have so much to be thankful for in Christ. He reveals the Father. He brings us into the Father's love. He assures us of His own and His Father's faithfulness. And then He provides peace through His victory. Go into the world with this peace.